This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Desperate, Vital Doctrine for All of Life from the Book of Ephesians. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, I want to say good morning to you all. That, that, that was kind of weak. Y'all, I need y'all to welcome, brother. Good morning. Oh, that's it right now. I feel like I'm ready to go rock. Um, it's great to be here with you. Again, my name is Russell McCutcheon, and I'm here with my bride, uh, LaToya, and we are, uh, we bring you greetings from Fellowship Memphis. I am, we don't call them campuses, we call them outposts, and I am an outpost pastor at our Germantown outpost. And I've been excited, looking forward to this for a while now, ever since I met Jeremy back in March, I believe. Um, and asking me to come, and, and uh, I'm excited because I get to preach the same thing I preached then, so I didn't, cra- I didn't have to craft anything new. And so I know you guys have been in the book of Ephesians, and I know it has been a blessing to you as all of God's Word encourages and blesses me, but it's always um, great uh, when, I just, when I just look at the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and all that he uh, endured and went through after being a persecutor of the church, and God will use him to give us such beautiful words. So as we begin to turn our attention to God's words, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you this morning. I have a family member um, whom I love who is in prison, and I often find myself thinking of him and at times writing a letter of encouragement to him. When I write to him, I want him to know a few things. I want him to know that I don't judge you. I love you. Uh, I want him to, 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 to hurry up and get out, um, not be in prison, because we, we see statistics and we, we see shows and we see things that talks about what takes place within a prison. And I just want him to get, I want him to know that there is someone on the outside who's thinking of him. And I, because I am in a, I'm in a free space, I want to write to him to let him know that I am thinking of him and hoping that he longs for a day very soon that he would be where I am. Again, it's also, I think about us as parents with our children, right? We as parents, we always want to be an encouragement to them right? I'm not saying it's weird, but we don't often think as parents that our kids will come up to us and give us encouragement, being strong when we're weak. We want to be the ones who are strong, who give to our kids, or if someone is in a marginalized place and we're not, we want to be the voice to speak into their lives. But I think we have something different in the book of Ephesians. Because in the book of Ephesians, Paul is locked up. No one on the outside from what we have uh, from Scripture has written a letter to Paul in prison and say, keep, be strong, Paul. Everything is going to be okay. No, Paul is writing, chained to a Roman soldier, writing to the church at Ephesus. And he starts out this letter so beautifully. And often I find myself praying Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Listen to what he says in verse 3 when he starts this letter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pause right there. We often say to other people, bless you, but the only one truly to be blessed is God, our Father. 
And Paul starts with that. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what has he done? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Scripture doesn't tell me that I have just a few blessings. And I'm not talking about money here. Because he says these blessings are in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know what what, what that looks like, but I know everything that I absolutely need, he supplies. And the Bible calls those blessings. Matter of fact, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Then it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul tells us that we have been predestined. Now, I know I have a lot of educated folk in here this morning, and I'm not going to insult your intelligence to say I know what you believe. You can believe in divine election or you cannot. But this is what I do know. Scripture says that God chose me before I was looking for him. He chose me. I wasn't looking. He's predestined. It says before the foundation of the world. In other words, before God said, let there be light. I was on his mind. And he had determined in the year 2000 that he was going to reach Russell McCutcheon through the ministry, notice it now, of prejudiced dudes, Peter, the rest of the apostles, who didn't like Gentiles. God entrusted my salvation to dudes who didn't like other people. And then he equipped them, and he reached me in the year 2000. He chose me before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but if you don't hear anything else, you should worship the king because you have been chosen. Then in chapter 2, he, he, he starts out that, that, that chapter doing a little something different, I see. He says, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I don't know about you guys, but we, I, I do know about you because, you know, a dead person can't respond to anything. He says, you were dead spiritually. I was dead spiritually in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But then he leaves that uh, a few verses down and he says, but you, he quickened. Right. He did something. He initiated. He if you ever look in Ezekiel and you see that 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 great chapter on the dry bones, like the tradition I grew up in, a preacher would preach that all day long. The valley of dry bones. Right. You got dead bones and God speaks to those bones and it says sinews and flesh and other things came together. And then he put spirit inside of those bones and those bones lived. That was you and I. Right, he spoke into our souls, and then we were, be, we were able to see our condition that we were lost and to respond rightly to the Lord Jesus who hung on that wooden cross for you and I. He quickened us. Verse 8 says, you have been saved by grace through faith, and you didn't even do it. You didn't do it. He did it. And then later on in chapter 2, he begins to say that uh, in, in Christ, there has been one new man that was created. Jew and Gentile now coming together to worship. Think of the implications of that in America. Martin Luther King said years ago that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday at 11. But when I look in scripture, there is coming a day where it ain't going to be no segregation. You ain't going to have a room over here for white people and a room over here for black folk and a room over here for Africans. No, we're going to be singing Kumbaya right next to each other. We're going to worship Jesus together. So we might as well get some practice now, y'all. 
Are y'all with me? We, 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 we need to practice now. Like, give us some movie trailers, Jesus, of what that day is going to look like, right? But now, so, so he saved us, right? We weren't looking for him. But when he saved us, he didn't take us out of this world to immediately be with him. He left us. John chapter 17, read it. You know, Jesus, he, he prays not only for those apostles, but for those who would believe because of them. Jesus says, I'm not taking you out of the world, right? He left, he, he left us here after he saved us. Why? To make much of him. And even as we're here, we are in the midst of evil. It's all around us, right? We watch TV all day, every day. Think about what we just witnessed. Here in America, in Portland, Oregon, a man yelling anti-Muslim rhetoric, right? Regardless of what a Muslim believes, they are made in the image of God. And a man kills and stabs two people. The concert in Manchester, people going to hear some music that they like. Leaving, a bomb goes off and kills kids as well as adults. Looking at what happened in Egypt, Christians. Killed, shot, cold blood. Not long ago, we, we heard of Jordan Edwards in Dallas leaving a party. He gets shot, right? But those things seem to be outside of us. We hurt for those things, but they seem to be outside of us. So let me, let me come close to you for a second. Maybe you have a family member who, or maybe yourself, received a report from the doctor that things don't look good and that you have a short amount of time to live or that person you love has a short amount of time to live. Maybe you know someone who is married and their divorce and their, their marriage is on the brink of divorce and that aches because you're so close to that person or your kids, right? You just want everything to go well with your kids, but life seems to be falling from under your child and you can't do anything to protect them, right? And we ask God, why? Why are these things happening? Why is all of this evil taking place around us? Come, Lord Jesus, end it. Have you ever felt that? But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 why we are ultimately having these issues. Because in verse 12 he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, my fight ain't ultimately with you. Sidebar, I believe that Satan is, especially for America, he is using racism to immobilize the church. Yes. Because what he's doing now, when we turn sideways, and I'm looking at my brother, and I hate him, but the, but the Bible says my fight ain't with him. Satan is using this foolishness of skin color to say, now, I'm going to keep you immobilized, and guess what he's doing? He's doing a, uh, I believe that he, he is going to lose this battle, so let's praise him for that. He's going to lose this battle, but right now, there are over half of the people on this planet who've never heard of Jesus. And it just does not exist in America. You all, all so if, if you're in, in China, Chinese people don't like Japanese. So it's not just here, it's, it's all over. When you go to Africa, people who look the same, but they come from different tribes, I'm against one another, right? Paul says, we ain't, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Who are we fighting against? 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. When we pull back the layers of our issues, we see that it's a spiritual battle taking place. Are y'all with me? This is spiritual. And we need to see it as such. You see, God is at work in and among his people. Now, even though we're in the midst of this battle, we, we do know Satan don't win this, right? He, he, he's, a, he's a defeated foe. He's a, a, he's a lion with his teeth yanked out. He can't ultimately do anything that God does not, give, does not give him leave to do. So God is at work in and among his people. Jesus already defeated him on the cross. When Satan thought he, win, he, he won, Jesus on that third day got up out the grave and said, Brother, you can't hold me. Death can't do nothing to me. I'm reigning. I'm ruling. Now, Satan, I'm going to deal with you, my brother, in my time. We win. But up until that point, though, it's, it gets frustrating because we like, God, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I, I don't want to continue to go through the things that I'm going through, right? We think we got it bad. But just go read the book of Job. I need somebody to hear me right there. If you hadn't read the book of Job, do yourself a favor. Sit down and strap up because it's gone. Just look at what the word of God says in the book of Job. And let's see someone who went through it. And, um, and I'm skipping here. I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But in the book of Job, it says this. It says, the word of God says, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan is nothing more than God's errand boy. If God don't say you can do it, he can't do it. He can't. And, 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 and when, when you look at the book of Job, I heard Robert Smith Jr. say, like, I don't know where you are in your life uh, because it's in, when you get to Job chapter 1 and 2, Job is going through it. God doesn't speak again to chapter 37. I don't know what it is. So I don't know what chapter of your life you're in. Are you in chapter 15? Hold on. God is about to speak. Because when God spoke to Job, he says, Job, where were you when I did this? Right? But God gave him back the things that he lost. But God allowed and even, you, it's, it's so crazy because it seems like God used Satan to test Job so that Satan would see what God put in him. God has put some things in you that God would use hardships to bring out. And I see Satan as that conduit oftentimes by which he does it. But Peter, Peter, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around here a little bit, but Peter told the believers um, that, that what, what, what Satan would do and that they need to be on guard because he says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he tells the believers, he says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So to be sober minded is to have a clear presence of mind and to be watchful literally means to stay awake. 
So as we are waiting for the Lord Jesus to return, we ought to have a clear mind and to stay alert. Right? Don't sleep. Because why? Satan is, he's, he's, he's at work. He's at work. But again, he is a defeated foe. And even in his work, he is only, if he's at work, whatever he's doing, God has already given leave for that to happen. Now, I don't want to minimize anything that has happened. Because when we see the, the tragic loss of life, I don't ever want to think that, uh, because we, ultimately we have to get above and realize that God is sovereign. Like this is not, he's not, God does not do what we do when things happen. Like we dial 911 and we panic. God don't panic. Like he's not up there like, man, I didn't know that was going to happen. Jesus in spirit, what are we going to do? He's not doing that, right? Now, my brain short circuits, I don't get it, but I have to rest and trust in the fact that even though it's tragic, my God still rules. Amen? John Jowett, who was a minister at Cause Lane Church in England and later at Fifth Avenue Church, said that no sermon ought to be preached unless you can first state it in a sentence. So what I want us to know today, you and I, is that you and I as believers are involved in a cosmic battle that can only be fought with God's armor. You and I are right now today involved in a cosmic battle that can only be fought with God's armor. And today I only have two points for you. And then we go into the house. Because I know maybe some tummies are rumbling. And you want to eat. So I make sure you get your food. Our first point I want us to see is the ultimate fight. And I'm going to look at that in verses 10 through 13. I want us to see where the ultimate fight lies. And secondly, I want us to see that we cannot fight without God's armor. Verses 14 through 20. And we're going to close this by looking at the rest of the verses. And how Paul closed that. Paul closes this letter. So let's turn our attention to God's word. First point, the ultimate fight, verses 10 through 13. God's word says, finally, again, Paul is closing this letter out. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul just, this is on the heels of Paul talking to groups within a home. He, in, in, in chapter 5, around verses 21, 22, he talks to husbands and wives, right, which we need. And the husbands in here, he says, love your wives. How are you going to love them? Y'all went through this just like Jesus loves his church. Wives, submit to, to your husbands. Then he, he turns to, to children and how children respond to parents, obey, and even how parents parent their children. Then he turns to what the what scripture in our, in our translation, it says, masters and slaves, Right. He tells them how they should conduct themselves as believers. But now Paul begins to turn his attention to the body as a whole. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, the Greek verb for be strong is a present passive imperative verb. It's a command, but it's passive. And so it means this be made strong, be strengthened. So this is a strengthening that comes outside of you. That is done to you, right? The reason we ought to be made strong 
is because we as believers are called to stand against Satan and his schemes. The reason we need to be made strong is because we don't have the strength in ourselves to stand against Satan. How many of y'all won that battle? Have you won a battle against Satan? On your own? Have not. Our victory comes because of the victory of another. He calls us to stand firm with this whole armor to be able to stand against those various tactics. Our strength is derived from Jesus. He is our power source. Now, when you look in in Scripture, you would often, especially in the Old Testament, you would see where God calls his people to be strong in the face of battle. Look at what Joshua chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 says. It says, be strong, God is speaking, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to give, that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And then in Zechariah, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12, it says, God speaking again, I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. In Zechariah, we see that the prophet says to us that God himself is our external power source. We have a power source that comes from outside of us, to us, in us, allowing us to be strong. Because we don't have that in ourselves as sinners. We need something. It's the same with salvation. You did not earn it. It's nothing that you have within yourself to say, I'm going to be saved. No, someone outside of you had to accomplish it for you. And as you trust in that, it's now appropriated and applied to your account. In Romans, it says that Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It was imputed to his account outside so what do we need to be strong we need the whole armor of God notice I didn't say a piece of armor I said you need the whole armor I need the whole armor because we are involved in a spiritual battle and I don't know about y'all this battle is hot see this cosmic battle is not one where you know what I'm saying like you got where two the two opposing sides they come together and say man how y'all doing today You good? I'm good. Now let's get back to fighting. Nope. It's always opposition there. And because we have this opposition, we need every weapon available to stand against the enemy because I don't know about y'all, but Satan don't always fight with one tactic. As a matter of fact, if you study this, this section of scripture, this word for schemes speaks of a variety, right? You know, like for you married folk in here, you know, you and your wife and you and your husband can get sideways quick. Uh, my married folks should have said amen right there. You know what I'm saying? Or those of you, I just those of you, those of you who desire to be married, are you on your way? Uh, it's beautiful, but you will get sideways. Um, oh, for those of us who are, and we have kids, right? Man, we just want our kids to do right, but man, I be wanting to, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or on your job, right? Everything is supposed to be good on the job. But then you got a boss or you got a co-worker that just makes your job miserable. It could be sickness. It could be anything but Satan. Like you, you, you in one situation, you'd be like, okay, I'm out of that. I'm good. Then he comes with another one. Like, oh, my goodness. When is this thing? And sometimes it just seems like, man, can I get a break? Satan doesn't want to give believers breaks. So he comes at us with a variety 
of schemes and tactics. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 32, Paul gives us some of the ways that Satan uh, tries to get a foothold in the life of the believer. And Paul mentions a few things. He mentions anger, falsehood, stealing, corrupting talk, right? He would use these to cause the believer now to walk not according to the new man, as Galatians talks about, but according to that old man, which if a believer walks according to the old man, it's like we're turning our back and say, I'm going to do it my own way. But our own way never accomplishes anything. So what are we called to do? We are called to stand firm, having on the whole armor of God, because it's with God's armor that we are able to stand against Satan and his attacks. Now, when we look at the problems that take place in our world and in our lives, it's easy for us to look sideways and think that our problems ultimately lie with other people, right? Like when issues happen, in America, the way we think, we got to find cause and effect. And often we see that as it relates to people. Now, in America, and I'm just using, I'm going to say in the West, I, I believe, I don't, I don't think we have, we grasp often that there is a spiritual dimension to life. We just in team, uh, uh, tend to look at what's physical and say that this is all that there is. But no, there is a spiritual dimension to our lives. And we need to recognize that even as things happen. But often because we don't look at that, we tend to just look at natural causes. So we, th- we see things taking place around our country. Right, when we look at cities, right, and we see tragedies happening in cities or we see uh, crime being committed left and right. So what do we say? Just give us more policemen and that will fix the issue. When we do need policemen, thank God for policemen. I see my brother here in the front. Thank you for what you do. We, we, we need that. Or if you're a parent, right, and, and you, get your, you want your kids to get the best education. Public schools seem to not be doing so well, so what we do, we take our kids out of public school and then put them in private. Or we even go to the, and there's nothing wrong with that, or we say, you know what, I'm going to take my kids out of school altogether and I'm going to homeschool. Whatever you decide, however you decide to parent and, and school your kids, it's fine. But we just think that if I just do this, then that's going to fix it, right? Or if I just tell my kids, I don't know how many of y'all, you tell your kid, go clean up the room. That's not a suggestion. That's a command, right? And we, again, we want our kids just go and do exactly what we say. Because we say, if I, just, if I just say it sternly, now I done told you one time, I'm not going to open my mouth again. We just think that, man, again, cause and effect. If I just say it this way, then I'm going to get the results that I'm looking for. Again, all of those things I'm not saying are bad things. And they are real issues, but I think we have to pull back the layers and see how do we get to this point. Again, let's just go to the scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 3. We're here because of sin. That's the issue. We have a sin problem that happened when Satan rebelled against God and he is kicked out and he goes in Genesis chapter 3 and he goes to our, our parents, Adam and Eve. Specifically in this text, he goes to Eve. And he begins to cast doubt. Did God actually say? Man, you know God didn't mean that. The reason God told you you couldn't do it because you can actually be God without God. You, you can be who you are without him. And so go ahead, free yourself. Eat. 
right? And so she eats the fruit and gives to her husband. This is a manhood talk for another day. Gives to her husband who was right there. If you want to look at the first passive man, all you got to do is look at Adam. And all men in here have been affected by that. Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, Romans, I believe, chapter 5 tells us that we were in him, in Adam. And when Adam sinned, guess who else sinned at that moment? You and I did. And ever since then, you and I have been at odds with God, who, if you're not in Christ, you're at odds with God and at odds with other humans. We're in this condition because of a spiritual being and our foreparents actually sinning. I just want us to see that this is a spiritual issue. And Paul understood that there was a spiritual battle taking place because sin had fractured the world. Paul knew this all quite too well. If you look at the book of Acts and you see how he would even give his testimony before dignitaries, he would actually recall, like, I was, I was shoot, I, first of all, Paul was smart. The fact that you sit at the feet of, of Gamaliel, a rabbi, Pharisee, Paul could probably recite every word by heart of the entire Old Testament. With many of us, we do struggle with even memorizing three verses. He knew it all. And because Christians popped up, followers of Jesus popped up, he wanted to persecute the church. Acts chapter 6, he stands consenting to the death of Stephen. Paul knew well, he knew very well, sin. Romans chapter 7, he says, the good I want to do, I can't do it. The bad I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And then in Ephesians, we see that Paul, and all through his writings, this is a spiritual issue. But I love, what even when Paul recounts sin, he would also say, but thanks be to God. Right, because he knows that Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death. Even though it's difficult, even though we all struggle, all of us in here struggle with sin. Even though we struggle, praise be to God that we have an advocate that prays for us. That we have a God who not just lives out there, but he lives in here that I am now his tabernacle. And do, do we think about that? That, man, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I have the God of the universe who said, let there be light and light appeared living in me. And because I have him, because his armor is available to me, I have all that I need to be able to stand against Satan and his tactics. If you're not familiar with this, this, this prominent uh, pastor who's no longer with us, I ask you to familiarize yourself with him. His name is Samuel DeWitt Proctor. He was an African-American pastor who pastored during Jim Crow days. He was born in the 20s. He died in the early 90s or, or sometime in the 90s. But he was a pastor during the time where there was, there was racial tension. Everything was heightened, right? He was a guy who pastored people. He, he loved people and he, 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 he wanted to make sure their souls were right with Jesus. But he also wanted to make sure they had food to eat, that they had access to jobs. So his ministry was a holistic ministry, which I do believe all of our ministries should be holistic. 
Well, one day, um, well, as he was doing all of this stuff, everything he did was conspicuous, meaning um, those who hated him because of his skin color would see what he's trying to do, and they would give, send him death threats. You better stop this. You know, you can't do anything, you know. Uh, just keep in mind uh, uh, some similar things like uh, Dr. King's letters from a Birmingham jail, right? When you had Jesus-loving people who says, ah, oh, you're doing too much. Slow down. But these people for Samuel Proctor said, we're going to kill you and your family. So much so that the police chief, who was a white man, got wind of this and tried his best to help Pastor Proctor, Dr. Proctor. And one day he took him aside and he said, this brother Proctor, you know we can't protect you around the clock, so you had better take this. He handed him a black box with a gun in it. What's interesting is this chief of police understood that as a human, he was limited. He could not protect uh, Samuel Proctor around the clock all the time because of his limitations. But I want us to know this morning, our God is limitless. God is not constrained by the things that constrain us. Again, our God is omnipotent. You can say it however you want to. You can say omnipotent, which means our God is all powerful. He is omnipresent, meaning he can be in, he is in Beijing, China, Nashville, Tennessee, Kansas City, Kansas, Australia, all at the same time. And if he turned, he would bump into himself. He is omniscient. You don't give God any information. Our God has all information, right? Again, as hard as that is for us to fathom, like, God, you knew this and you still. But I heard someone say this. If you had all of the information God has, you would have made the same decisions he said he made in your life. Now, when we talk about God, we tend to talk about God in the abstract, right? That's how we describe him. So if someone comes up to you, tell us about God. Oh, he's all loving. He is. He knows everything. He is. He sees me. He does. But when you look in the Old Testament, God's people spoke of, not, spoke of God not in the abstract but in tangible ways. They said he is a rock because they can look at mountains and they can see big rocks and they knew what they were able to do. It says our God is a rock. He is a fortress. He is my refuge. Right, me growing up, I would hear church mothers and other people say he's a bridge over troubled water. Our God is a tangible reality, ready and always available to us. So my question to you this morning is, what do you need from God? What do you need? Are you afraid this morning? Is there anything that's causing you fear? Well, if we look at scripture, I know in, in, in a few places, but Deuteronomy, I believe, chapter 31, it goes on to say that our God will never leave you nor forsake you. See, if God is with us, we don't have to fear. Again, Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Are you concerned about your health? Well, there I just want to point you to the Gospels and how desperate people would run to Jesus and said, uh, oh, you just go to John chapter 11 where Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But it's such a beast in that chapter because Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed where he was four days. You know, if we hear someone is sick, we get in the car, we gas up and say, I'm coming. 
I'm going to run to you. Jesus says, he is? Okay. And he waits. What's a beast? Jesus made sure he died and was dead four days because Martha said, by now he stinketh. In the King James Version, if you got a verse, just read. It says, by now he stinketh. But then Jesus says, pretty much, you want to see the glory of God like I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And again, when you have the power of God speaking, you must respond. If God wants to heal you, he will heal you. And he is going to heal you either in this life or the life to come. But our God is a healer. Are you worried about your kids and how they're going to make it in life? Are you worried? Take comfort in the word of God in Philippians 4, 6, where Paul would write. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your worries be made known to God. And I love what it says after that. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What is it going to do? It's going to guard your hearts or your minds in Christ Jesus. Or you worried about finances? Or you behind on your mortgage? Or you late on your bills? But you trust Jesus. Take comfort in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 19, where Paul writes, but my God will supply all of your needs, not some of your needs. Now, it didn't say he's going to give you all that you want. But he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As the man who disciples me would always say, God got more cheese than I got worry. God got money. The psalmist say he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What are you worried about? What do you need? Our God is a tangible reality. And in this text, he's telling us that a tangible reality we have is his armor. Because I want you guys to know this morning that Satan cannot and he will not win. Secondly, I would like for us to see that we can't fight without God's armor. Let's look at verses 14 through 20. The word of God says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As Paul wrote this letter, or have his emanuensis write for him as he dictated, Paul most likely was chained to a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier who was in full regalia had everything on prepared for battle. And Paul would look at this Roman soldier, the spirit would quicken him, and he would begin to take this armor and apply it in Christian terms. Because he saw in this Roman soldier that the believer needed these things. And so what are the weapons that Paul describes that's available for the believer? And I'm just going to walk through these as the text gives them. He first mentions the belt of truth. Now, the idea that Paul conveys here is the idea of fastening clothes 
securely around one's waist where there would be no slack, right? Being ready for battle. Now, just as one has to pull his belt tight to remove slack, believers are to remove the mental slack to be able to grasp the truth of God's word. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the God-given ability and capacity to think deeply of God's truth as we are engaged in battle. We have that capacity. But in order for us to think deeply of God's truth, guess what we need to do? We need to get into God's word. We need to be people of the book. We need to read it. I'm not talking about a legalistic thing, but what I'm saying is it needs to be to such a degree that if you do some studies in Jewish background that these teachers, they loved God's word. They had a passion for it. Sometimes I think as believers we can take it or leave it. We have, Paul would write in 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word is, is God-breathed. In Hebrews it says it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. As God's word is read, God is speaking. We need to be people of the book. We need to be people who study his word to know what his word says. So that we have a reservoir to pull from as life begins to happen. Then he mentions the breastplate of righteousness. So Paul would see this on the Roman soldier. And it was a piece that covered the chest to protect it from blows and arrows. This armor protects, this spiritual armor protects the believer's heart and emotions as they make decisions. How, how often do you and I make decisions out of our emotions and we're not even thinking clearly? Paul looks at the breastplate of righteousness and he says, look, we need to be uh, a people. We need this spiritual armor, this spiritual protection so that we can make Jesus, we can make decisions in light of how Jesus made decisions. Again, think of, man, it's it's amazing. We just read the Gospels and you see how Jesus would do certain things. Like they would come to Jesus and say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus said, hand me that coin. Whose inscription is on it? Caesar. You get to Caesar what's Caesar's, get to God what's God's, right? In other words, since you've been made in the image of God, you can give Caesar the money, but you got to give yourself to God because he created you, right? Ain't no way in the world I would have thought on my feet like that. That's no way. But with the breastplate of righteousness, our hearts and our emotions are protected and we're able to make decisions in light of who the Lord Jesus is and the fact that he resides in us. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the picture of a messenger, a lone messenger who takes the good news to others quickly. Now, if you read, especially when you read the Old Testament and they, they were going through all these wars, right, you would often read of, uh, I can't remember what book it is, maybe First or Second Kings, but you would read of a messenger who would run and they had messages and they would run. That messenger had to be somebody who would run fast. They ran to give sometimes bad news, but mostly they will come and proclaim you on They will come and proclaim good news that the battle is won. As believers, we have our feet shod with the gospel of peace, taking this gospel to a people who need to hear it. I hope you do know that America now, I've heard this on a couple of occasions, that America now is the third most unreached people in the world. The church is growing the fastest in Asia, Africa, Latin America, right? In other words, there are, and I heard this recently, I told this to the earlier body, that 
Tennessee is only 35% reached, 65% unreached. Even though we got churches everywhere. And those unreached people, they're not coming in these doors. How are we going to reach them? Because the gospels also say the end will come when the gospel is proclaimed to the four corners of the earth. Now, I don't know what you believe uh, from an eschatological eschatological standpoint that's not my point my point is there is some that is truth to scripture that says the gospel must be proclaimed to all all my understanding means all so how are we going to take this gospel what are our feet like are our feet beautiful are we hiding our responsibility in the we and the us instead of saying i'm going to because i know you work with unbelievers i know you do And everybody that comes within these walls are not believers. I pray that's the case for every church. But may we be a people who run to others to share this gospel. So my question, are you always ready to share the gospel? I will give you an assignment, and I will. I'm not here, but I want to give you an assignment. Write out your testimony. Write your testimony out in three parts. What your life was like before coming to Jesus, how we saved you, and what your life looks like now. Write it down. Practice it. Don't do more than one page. And when someone asks you your story, that's what you give them. And have it replete with scripture. Because life ain't in your testimony. Life is in the word. Be ready to share the gospel. The shield of faith. Now this protects against every kind of assault from the enemy. See, this word for shield that Paul uses speaks of a shield that covered the whole person. And when I was studying this, this was interesting to me. That these soldiers would saturate their shields because it was made out of things like leather. And so they were saturated in water. So when these men would shoot arrows that had fire on the end of it, when it hit the shield, it was extinguished. Scripture says that the Lord Jesus himself is our shield. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So in in the midst of this battle, what we want to do is appropriate the promises of God. If God's word says it, look, I grew up around people, these church mothers who said, I don't know a lot. I just believe God. If his word says it, I believe it. And that's it. How are we going to appropriate those promises? Right. He said he will protect me. Now, that does not mean that my life will be easy because sometimes he will lead me in a difficulty to bring some things out of me. But yet, even if I'm in the midst of a battle and he's with me, I'm safe. How do we appropriate the promises of God? Are you experiencing doubt right now? Are you experiencing despair? Are you being persecuted because of your faith? I love the fact that when I see, um, you know, some, some, uh, a few years ago, um, we saw those, those guys on the shore being beheaded, right? And that bothered me. But there seemed to be such a peace over those men who said, because I think, I, I, I think they got a glimpse of what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He says, it, 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 it's almost like he said, don't matter with me at this moment. Because in Philippians, he said, it's, it's, I'd rather leave right here because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to go be with him. And so I have to believe that these men who were killed because of their faith, martyred because of their faith, knew that as soon as my spirit leaves, I'm not about to feel pain. I'm about to be with my Savior. So it doesn't matter what it is that we experience. And again, I say that as a person who loves comfort. I don't want to go through anything hard. 
But I have to trust in God's word that if his word is true, he's with me. What, how are we appropriating the promises of God? And then there's the helmet of salvation. So believers, as believers, we must, we must lay hold of the truth that God has rescued us from death, from wrath, and from bondage to sin. And he's transferred us, based on Colossians chapter 1, he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I'm a king's kid, y'all. Y'all know what that means? Oh, I've been way with like the, the man and uh, the boy in Luke chapter 15. We always focus on the prodigal, the one that left, but there were two lost sons in that story. Because the son was in the house and just as lost as the one who left. But when the son who left came back, he says, I ain't worthy to be called your son. The dad said, go get a, go get a ring. Kill the fattened calf. Bring me the robe. He's my son. He's my son. In salvation, not only has God rescued us from the clutches of sin in the past, but he's in the future rescue. He's going to rescue us. He's rescuing us right now. Praise God that I am saved yesterday, today, and tomorrow. None of that is going to change. May we think deeply of that truth, of the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul mentions the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is both a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. Now, when the Word says sword, please don't think of movies that uh, whatever you want to watch, but they got a sword from here to that door right there, and you just got these long swords that they're just wielding. No, this word for sword is a short, short, short dagger, right? Meaning you got to be up close to somebody to administer the death blow. And Peter, uh, Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It's the word of God up close and personal that penetrates the hearts of people, thereby saving them. If you're saved this morning, the Spirit did a work in your heart. He did it. As a matter of fact, how God did it is God can save all of us by one word from the throne. And make everyone saved. But he chooses to use people who have their feet shod with the gospel of peace coming close to you and I, opening their mouths. And it may not be a great, because the way I was, I was rescued and saved, the person who shared the gospel with me, that wasn't a good presentation. But he don't need a perfect presentation to save you. Because the truth is, if you got saved, he was already working in your heart before the person opened their mouths. The spirit is at work. Giving life to God's word. And when it's proclaimed in power, people are rescued. But I think that's something else that goes along with this armor. And I think what goes along with it, Paul mentions in verses 18 through 20, is prayer. Paul tells us in verse 18 that we need to pray at all times. Soldiers. Now, I, I do want us to begin to look at ourselves as soldiers. This ain't a cruise ship, y'all. This, ain't, this, this life ain't where you get everything you want when you want it. The Bible says pretty much that we are soldiers. Soldiers are always ready for battle. And in this battle, you always need to be praying. In order to activate these, these, this armor, we need to be praying. We need to be people of prayer. And Paul goes on to say not only should, we, should you be praying, but you need to be praying for others. Do you know that the person you sit next to needs to be prayed for? How often do you pray for them? 
The people you don't know, do you pray for them? Are we praying for other churches in this city? Because we don't know what they are. We, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're experiencing, but I do know if they're followers of Christ, they need undergird. They need the spirit to empower them, to help them in daily life. I need prayer. You need prayer. So I'm asking you right now, y'all please pray for a brother. Because I need it. I want to pray for you. You need it. And then Paul goes on to say, pray for me as well. Now, come on, this is an apostle. He calls himself the least of them. You know what I mean? Born out of time. He says, pray for me. Why? That I would have boldness to proclaim this mystery. What is this mystery? Again, I mention, I'll mention it again. This mystery is that Jew and Gentile now are in one body, the body of Christ. And Paul wanted to proclaim this mystery before Roman dignitaries, Roman emperors. Again, if you look at Paul's letter, last letter that he wrote in First Timothy, I mean, Second Timothy chapter 4, you would see that, right, as we don't know exactly how long it was after he finished writing that he lost his life, but he had to proclaim the gospel to these dignitaries even when everyone deserted him. Paul says, pray for me that I would have the boldness to proclaim this mystery. If you look at Acts chapter 4, I believe, after the apostles were whipped, they go back to the church and they recount everything that took place and they praise God and then they pray. They say, God, continue to give us boldness to proclaim this gospel, even in the face of, of, of persecution. Give us boldness. Paul says, give me this boldness so I can be ready always to proclaim this gospel. Again, Paul knew not only do we need this armor, but he himself needed this armor. He was always ready to do what the Lord had called him to do. I had the privilege of, of, of playing college and a very little professional basketball. The Lord saved me right in the midst of my professional career. But I remember one time my sophomore year in college, we were playing a team that had high school All-Americans, and I was not a high school All-American, but I got better as I got older. And so I'm, I'm, I, I get called upon by the coach that says, Russell, you're going to start today. Now, everyone, I don't care what sport you play, you always want to be the man or the woman. Like, you want to do well, and, and I wanted to do well, but it's, it's something different when your number gets called. And so they, they tell me I'm, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm like, oh. And so my, I play college with my brother and I'm sitting there like man Jason I'm ready man but I I don't know you know man can I and you know my brother would encourage me man you're going to be all right you're going to be all right you're going to be all right because we've practiced so game time happens they throw the ball up jump ball boom it's hit and I'm running up and down the court but then all you know you're ready when you take that first bump when you get that first elbow right you be like oh okay I I know what this is now I've been prepared for this because I've gone through countless hours and days of practice I'm ready. And I had one of the best games I had my sophomore year, the first time starting. But I had to be ready when my number was called. There was not a time where I could, no matter what was taking place in my life or how easy it was or not easy, I had to always be ready. So my question for you this morning is, what does your life look like now? Are you in a season where it's pretty easy, right? Are you in a season where your job is going well? You're making the money that you want to make? Your kids are obeying everything you say? Yes, Mom. Yes, Dad. Mom, look at my grades. Straight A's. Thank you for what you're doing in me. Right? 
We all want that. We all want to come. We, we want to go down neighborhoods where everybody, your neighbors are fine. You know, everybody's grass is manicured. Like, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, you can walk your dog and, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I want that. Don't, I'm not trying to make light of that. I want that kind of life. But that life is a utopia. The Bible don't say nothing about that. The Bible says this is a battlefield. This is a war zone. It's like, shoot, my kids, I'm ready to hit you in the throat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like, like, you got coworkers, man. I don't feel like dealing with you today, bro. You're going about your business. I'm done. I'm done. Right? But the truth is we have to stay on guard. Right? No matter if it's ease or if it's difficult, we always must be ready. Because in America, here again, we love comfort. Right? We love when everything is nice. You know, we want a government that puts laws in place that caters to what I want. Right? If, 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 if you're married, you want your spouse to do everything you want when you want it. You want a meal on the table when you come home. I'm talking about laid out perfectly with, 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 with Kool-Aid. Red Kool-Aid. You know, my point is you just want it perfect, right? You want that. But again, Scripture don't, doesn't speak of those things, man. It's, it's, it, it lets us know that, man, there are times I come home, you know what I'm saying, or you come home and, and things seem to be in disarray. There's a battle on your job. Things seem to be out of whack. But even in the midst of this battle, y'all, we have a general. His name is Jesus, and he's leading us. And even though it's hard, we win. We win. And everything, I love it. I mean, we, we butchered this text, but I think it's so good. You know what I'm saying? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It may be hard, but it's going to work together. It's going to work together. So he calls us to engage in battle. But he closes this letter in a beautiful way, I think. He lets them know that, he says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Paul closes by saying, I know you're concerned about me. You're concerned about me. You, you want to know what's going on with me? You want to know how I'm doing? Since I can't come to you, I'm going to send my brother, Tychicus. Paul uses other language like this as well, too. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul tells him, he says, imitate me. In one other place, it says, as I imitate Christ, which that is true. But in this one, he says, imitate me, and I'm sending Timothy to you. Wait a minute, you want me to imitate you, but you're sending someone else to me? See, that is, that is a disciple-making moment. Listen to me, y'all. Those you disciple should look like you, just as you look like Jesus. He says, I'm sending Timothy to you. And Timothy is like me. Since you, I want you to imitate me, I'm sending him. Paul was imitating Jesus. Therefore, Timothy, what? Looks like Jesus. I have to believe the same thing with Tychicus because he is also mentioned, I believe, in Colossians. Right? Paul says, you want to know how I'm doing? I'm sending a brother to you. I want him to encourage you. Because, look, if you, you, you guys have gone through Ephesians. I pray that this book has encouraged you. Again, Paul has given us a letter that, has ex that ha God has preserved his word to encourage our souls and our hearts so that we will not lose heart, especially when things are tough. I love the way he closes. He closes with saying we're in a battle. You need the armor. 
But just because you want to know how I'm doing in this battle, I'm going to send Tychicus to you. He's going to tell you everything. Grace and peace. Grace to you. Grace to you. May God continue to be at work in and among you, as Paul says. And I pray that God will continue to work in at the Axis Church here in Nashville. So much so that there would be no place left that we would say that you would be able to say with Paul in the book of Romans that there is no room left for us to work in this region because Nashville would be saturated because you are part of the Axis Church and you are going out to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth. May that be said for you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for putting it in the heart of Jeremy and the leaders, Lord God, to be strategically in this place, in this season. I pray for the body here, Lord God, that the people here will be mobilized to saturate this area, this region with the nutrition of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we leave from this place today, Lord God, and never from your presence, use us to make much of you today. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Desperate, Vital Doctrine for All of Life from the Book of Ephesians. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.